Hey, are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. LinkedIn presents. You can do it. Uh, My biggest advice is you reach out to other people. If there's something that's freaking you out or that's scaring you, that's a perfect opportunity to, to find somebody else. You can feel free to reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm happy to give you some advice. I've got some skills that can help you deal with the, with the emotions now better than I did. And, you know, avail yourself of the, of the other people, but avail yourself of all of the opportunities to, to learn this stuff. Find what the market wants and give it to it and extract a heavy price for it. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends, invite them to subscribe, and connect with us on social media. So today, I have Brad. Can you tell us what you do? Uh, Sure. I am a management consultant. I uh, work with professional services clients, so consultancies and staffing agencies and those kinds of folks, and help them grow their businesses and become more profitable. Wow, that's awesome. So what's the salary range that you've worked under throughout your life? Throughout my life is a long time. I'm not a young person. I went to school. I started in college back in the 80s uh, in the Jurassic era. But my first job out of college was probably 30, 35,000 a year. And I worked as an independent, independent software engineer. So I went into software engineering full-time in the 90s and started probably at 75,000 a year, worked my way up to probably 150,000 a year by the middle aughts. And then I'm just trying to remember, this was a long time ago. I went independent and uh, as an independent contractor, I topped out at around 300,000 a year. And now as a management consultant, there's really no upper limit. You kind of just make as much as you want. Just depends on how much work you want to take. So if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone without a degree, what would it look like? Yeah, I think the things that worked best for me throughout my career was to keep my training and my education up to date. So even though I didn't finish college, I went for three semesters. I took almost an entire computer science curriculum in three semesters of college. But after that, I realized I was just getting started. So again, this would have been in the late 80s. So there was no JavaScript or web or any of that stuff. 
all of that stuff came along since I started, and I had to learn all of that tech. So as I was going along in my career, I kept up to speed on whatever kind of the latest and greatest was. And that meant some dead ends. I, I certainly studied and learned some technologies that never caught on. But it also meant that you got really good at sort of understanding what a new technology brought to bear and the kinds of changes it would bring. And after a while, you start learning which of those are going to really take up into the market. I always focused on technologies that the market wanted to buy. So there were a lot of things that were cool and shiny and really interesting that I never really opted to get into because I didn't think that they were going to be very valuable to me career-wise. Uh, some of those I got right, some of those I didn't. And the ones that I didn't, I just learned those, those technologies a little bit later. So I might have missed some of the early explosion of popularity for that. And then uh, pretty quickly, you, you catch up. By the time I finished my engineering career, I had 25 years of Java experience. Um, there is no job out there that calls for 25 years of Java experience. But I had seen a lot of the technologies kind of come and go along that. that you know, the, the kinds of tech that we use in web development are completely different. And I found that I was just learning all the time. And I loved learning. That was part of why I liked tech so much was I really get into uh, picking up whatever the latest and greatest was and, and learning how to apply that or what was really, really hyped in the market that that I knew wasn't going to catch on and, and, and be there for the long term. Now, let's take it back. How was high school like for you and would you want to be in high school? I was a mess in high school. Uh, when I was a kid, I was super, super tight with my dad. Um, he was a mechanical engineer. Uh, computers weren't really a thing. He would take me to work with him, and uh, we just spent a ton of time together. Uh, he had a machine shop in the basement, and he showed me how to use milling machines and lathes and all of this when I was a little, little guy. Um, but he died unexpectedly uh, when I was nine years old. And that kind of sent my life into a tailspin. High school was was kind of a bumpy road. Uh, wasn't my favorite thing in the world. I was glad to, to finally be done uh, and, and out of it and uh, went off to college and, and kind of got bored there too. Yeah. So let's talk about college. Like you took the whole computer science curriculum in the three semesters. Tell me about that. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and so I was like, well, I know the classes I do want to take. And I know that there's all these breadth requirements that I'm supposed to take. I'm supposed to do a language and I'm supposed to do uh, not, a, not a programming language, but a, a foreign language. And I'm supposed to do uh, humanities requirements and things like that. And I don't know about that, but I do know about the computer science. So I stacked calculus and... I took three comp sci classes a semester. By the time I was done with three semesters, I had almost completed the entire curriculum for what you needed from the CS school to graduate. And I decided at that point that I didn't really want to stick around to polish off all of the other classes and wasn't having very much fun. And so I moved on. I went out uh, into the world and tried to find my way the best I could. So what was the first job that you got? 
the first job that I got was for a little company. I was in Madison, Wisconsin, where I went to school, a little company that did reprographics, which is a technology that you have not heard of because it hasn't been used since the early 90s. But it was basically blueprint copying and photocopying. This was my first introduction to small business. They needed some software to help them track all of the orders that they were doing for their customers and to help them price things out. And so I learned a relational database uh, called Fourth Dimension that's actually still around, strangely enough, to this day, and learned how it worked. had a graphical user interface, and it was kind of a 4GL, and built them a custom application that had all of the pricing for every product that they sold and you could report on it and gave them all kinds of insights into their business about where they actually made money and which customers actually made them the most profit and all of this kind of stuff. And it it was a great introduction, like I said, to small business because there's just a lot of things that they don't actually know in in a typical small business, as well as just learning how to write production code, uh, which was something I'd never, I'd never done before. How was it writing production code? Uh, it was about as ugly as you'd expect. In college, they teach you how they teach you computer science. It's not uh, necessarily, especially at that time, software engineering wasn't even a thing. So we never learned about source code control and we never learned about reusability or sort of technical debt, or a lot of the sort of software engineering concepts that are very common today, those terms didn't even exist at the time. And so you just learned as you went and you were like, well, that was a terrible design and I'm going to have to redo it. And you didn't have a, a, a words to use to describe the, the sort of anti-patterns or the, the things that you were doing. You just had to figure it out all on your own. And uh, there also wasn't Stack Overflow, right? The web hadn't been invented yet. So none of the, you didn't have any of that stuff to turn to. You just, you figured it out. And the good news was you got paid along the way and nobody else knew anything better either. So it, it, you learned a lot about, you know, your, your worth in the market as well as how to really start to hone your craft. Yeah. So how long did you hold that job? Uh, it was a couple of years after that. I got into more of an information systems job. Uh, I worked as a an IS manager, an IT manager at a, a small company in Madison. I stayed there for a number of years. And then I decided I really just wanted to do software engineering full time. And I went to a boutique uh, consultancy. It was about 50 people. Uh, this was right as Java was getting started. And I had taught myself Java. Um, you know, at the time it was not a monumental task. There wasn't very much to it, quite honestly. Um, and so I, I learned the programming language and I learned, uh, some other kind of core software engineering skills. And I got snapped up at a boutique and, and had a great run. Eventually I ended up opening up an office for them in Minnesota, which is where I still live today and, uh, got to lead a a team of people and and learn how to run a professional services office uh, in that role. It was, a, it was a ton of fun. Also, got to build a diagnostic radiology workstation in Java, like actual what they use to to look at medical images and diagnose patients, which was again cutting edge technology at the time. Uh, it was previous to that there were you know films that they would put up on the wall to show a radiologist, on, and they had light boxes on the walls and. That was how how they did it. And now we were going to make that all digital and 
you wouldn't need a whole room of light boxes and you wouldn't need the doctor would have access to all the patient's historical scans and and it would be laid out just the way that the doc, that particular doctor liked it it was it was an interesting bit of tech that's awesome what were some things that you took longer to learn for me it was mostly the human stuff i took to the tech stuff pretty readily but learning how to to lead people, how to interact effect more effectively with people. A lot of that stuff took a long time. Going back to the way I grew up, uh, I didn't have access to a dad that was that was going to be there for me and to and show me those things. I so I had to figure them out the the hard way. And some of it I got I did fine with, but some of those things uh, were really really a struggle for a long time. How'd you get better at those things? Uh, I practiced. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, there were two things in my life that really helped, and both of them had nothing to do with the tech part of it. One of them was becoming a parent and realizing that I was not very good at being a parent because I missed out on really getting a lot of good parenting experiences as a kid. Uh, and so I got introduced to a program called Love and Logic, developed by a couple of guys. Uh, one of them was a school psychiatrist and one of them was a school principal. And they kind of figured out this technique of explaining to parents how to parent better. And it turns out learning how to parent is mostly not about how you control your kids. It is mostly about how you control you. And so what they were kind of teaching you was a backhanded way of here's how you deal with your feelings. Here is how you deal with it when you get angry when your kid screws up and how you avoid blowing up at them and, and some of those things. And that's applicable in a lot of different parts of life, not just raising kids. The other thing that taught me a ton about how to learn how to manage my emotions was when I was 40 years old, I learned to fly. I learned to fly airplanes. And everybody says, oh my gosh, aren't those dangerous? Because they always hear about the airplane crashes all the time. And, and they're not wrong. I mean, airplanes crash all the time. And what we learned was why airplanes crash is because the pilot felt like they really had to get there on time. You know, they had a really important meeting or they wanted to make it home for Thanksgiving dinner or they really you know, were convincing themselves that they'd have enough gas to make the entire trip. And even though the headwinds were stronger than they anticipated. And it was really, again, the pilot learning how to control the pilot and learning mm. how to say, you know what, I can't go in these conditions. I don't have enough gas. I'm going to have to stop for fuel. Or this is a really bad problem. I need to land and get this plane on the ground because it's broken. And if I keep going, I'm going to really get in, get myself into a situation that I can't get out of alive. So just as parenting is learning how to control yourself, learning how to fly planes is learning how to control yourself. And it turns out that that core skill is really applicable in just about every walk of life. When you are working, whether you're leading people, and a lot of what I do now is leadership development, it is mostly learning how do I deal with me when the pressure is high, when uh, I'm being undermined by one of my colleagues or when I lost the big sale and we're not going to, or we're not going to make the date or whatever it is, how do I manage me? Because I can't really control my employees. All of these skills are really central to having an effective, meaningful life. And so as I picked them up along the way, I 
was able to figure out, oh, hey, these skills apply to my working life and to my personal life and to my flying life and, and all of these different areas, I should probably figure this out. So being a, a nerd who's into studying things, and I, I studied a lot to learn my technical career, I studied a lot of how human beings do emotions and how they do them effectively and, and how they learn how to live with their emotions effectively and how to think about emotions and how to practice getting over difficult situations. And I learned some ways that are really ineffective and what people do to kind of get themselves into trouble or get themselves into a behavioral hole that it's kind of hard to get out of. And I turned that into my current career. So I work a lot with technical people because I came from a technical background and I, and I was in engineering for so long, but I've got these other skills and how to develop yourself into a better person, a better leader, a better spouse, uh, a better parent. And those are super applicable skills uh, to, to help my clients with. How was it going from working for companies to being independent? That's a great question. The, the transition was really scary at the time. I did one thing right. I went and turned to my peers. I had a bunch of folks who used to work for me when I ran a consulting uh, office who had gone independent. And I turned to them and I said, you got to help me out because I'm worried that I'm going to not going to have any income and I'm going to lose my house and my family's going to be living out of a car and this is all going to be terrible. And they kind of showed me the ropes and they sh- said, these are the things that, you've, that are really important that you want to focus on. These are the things that you're really worried about that really are not anything you have to worry about. I figured that out over time. I, in 11 years as an independent contractor, I had a total of four weeks that I wasn't working when I wanted to be working. That's pretty manageable. Um, and you learned how the system works. You learn how to work with insurance brokers to get health insurance and how you can find gigs and how to develop relationships with people that can help get you gigs. You kind of figure those things out as you go. And uh, it's funny, right before this call, I was at a meeting with a meetup uh, where a guy was talking about E to I, employee to independent. And here are the kind of the big issues. What are the questions that you have? And I kind of helped him along with my own experiences on, yeah, this is what worked really well for me. This is what was hard. And once I got over the hurdle of all of the fears that I had about going independent, it actually was pretty straightforward. Like I certainly managed the hell out of my first couple of gigs, but after that, I kind of got the hang of it and knew how to be successful at that. And I really loved that lifestyle. You know, nobody tells you, but when you're an independent contractor, you never do pager duty because they'd much rather have an FTE that they don't have to pay uh, to be on call. Because if they have the contractor on call, they got to pay you for that time. And uh they never tell you that they don't want you working overtime because, again, the FTEs, they don't get paid for the overtime, but the contractors all do. So when there's extra overtime to be done, unless they want to pay for it and have budget for it, it's not going to be the contractor. And so you've got some built-in safeguards that I didn't anticipate at the beginning that were really, really nice. Now, what were some mistakes that you made along the way? <laughs> oh, lots of them. Let's see. You know, there were times when it was tough for me to remember a golden rule. It's way better to be effective than to be right. 
and I really, really wanted to be right sometimes. And I would, I would end up getting into arguments with the FTEs at my client site from time to time, or I was like, you know, what we're doing is really stupid. And it's like, yeah, that, that might be correct, Brad, but it's not very effective and they're not going to keep you around <laughs> if you're, if you're going to feel that way, or, or if you're going to be overt about feeling that way. Uh, so just kind of learning how to manage myself when my client was doing something that I didn't think they should do, or when there was somebody difficult at the client site, I had to develop some of those skills along the way just to figure out how do I how do I manage the situation where maybe I feel really, really frustrated about what's going on, uh, or I've got a strong opinion about what's going on, and how do I deal with those emotions in a way that are going to be the most productive and most effective at getting me what it is that I want to get. Yeah. I mean, that it's always tough to learn that stuff. Now, looking back, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? I think my biggest accomplishment was, was figuring some of that stuff out, was being able to not just do the technical, develop my technical skills, um, but to branch out into some other areas that I found really interesting. Um, toward the end of my contracting career, I was starting to get bored with writing, you know, yet another business application for yet another customer. And the new technology that was coming out was looking an awful lot like the stuff that we had been dealing with in the '90s. And I was, I found myself kind of rolling my eyes a little bit, like, "Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We've got to learn green threads again?" Because I really learned this in like 1993. Uh, and we've got to use call yield functions again. Oh, great. You know, I did that way back when, and we, and we actually worked around that. Like we built really cool systems so that you didn't have to do it that way. And now you're telling me I have to do it that way again. And I realized that the way that I felt about the technology was going to be really career limiting for me. Um, my technical skills were going to go stale if I wasn't going to keep up with the new tech, whether I liked it or not. And then I was going to be some unemployable guy in his in his fifties with out of date technical skills, and I didn't want that. And so I knew then that I was going to have to make a change, and I wanted to become more valuable. I wanted to make more money, so I had capped out as an independent. Like they're just. Nobody was going to pay me more than what I was already making as an independent contractor, but I was starting to do more at my clients than just writing code. So I was starting to mentor the hiring managers who were more and more the time younger than me uh, and needed some development on how do I handle this political situation or how do I deal with this problem employee? And I was giving them advice on how to do that. and. My gigs at the same time were getting having non-technical components of them. So it was like, yeah, we need a Java guy, but we also are trying to figure out Agile, or we're trying to figure out product, or we're trying to figure out like how do we move to some of these newer processes. So my career kind of went from I'm gonna be have technical mastery over this technology, and it became more of, I'm going to have organizational mastery. I'm going to have mastery over how is the organization set up? How do we solve problems? How do we discover things when there's unknowns? How do we communicate effectively about schedules and timelines and features? 
um, all of the agility and product stuff. And then I started to pivot more again toward how do I become a better person? How do I become a better leader? And my role now, a lot of it is oriented around how do I, I own a small business. I own a, a professional services company. This, this would be my client saying this. Hey, Brad, I own a professional services company and we grew to this point and now we're stuck. In a typical company, there's kind of set points revenue-wise where you can predict when they're going to get stuck, when they're going to plateau. And oftentimes it's because you need new leadership skills put into your leaders in the organization. So the first one happens around a million, million and a half, where the founder of the company who's been in the middle of every single decision has become a bottleneck and they need to learn how to delegate to managers and bring in a management group. And that happens again when uh, they reach about 25 million and it happens again at about 75 to 100 million. And it happens again at about 350 million. And as they're going through these restructurings, they're handicapped by the fact that their leaders aren't ready to move up and lead at a new level inside of the organization. I give them some guidance on how to make it through those difficult times. That's been that's been really fun uh, work for me to do. It's it's super different. I have to, you know, unlike when I was an independent, when I was an independent and I wanted new business, I literally could just wait for the phone to ring, answer it, and say, yeah, when do they start? What's the technology? What's the rate? Great, click. And I had another gig. Now I have to do marketing and I have to do sales and I have to do business development. And I had to develop all of those skills uh, that went along with it. I get a lot more red time uh, in, in my current job, in my current role as an independent uh, management consultant. But the work that I do is a lot more meaningful for the stage of life that I'm in right now. Um, and it's more lucrative. So there's really no upper limit to the amount of money you can make as a management consultant. It's really when do you want to stop making more money, but you've got to work for it. You've got to find that work yourself and you've got to learn how to convince other people that you can produce the value that they need uh, for their company. Now, what advice would you have for people who are moving up in technology? Because I've seen a lot of people who started in technology, but it's really easy to get outdated, right? Technology moves so quick. How do you stay relevant? Like what habits would you tell someone to like have? The thing that helped me, first of all, is, is to love the process of learning the new tech. Uh, if you don't, you're going to have to accept the fact that your skills are going to be devalued because the tech that you know today just isn't going to be interesting in a few years. So even though I knew all kinds of things about how to build a unit testing framework, eventually JUnit came out and those skills were worthless. Even though I wrote the first build tool that I ever used, nobody wants to pay me to write a build tool anymore. It's like, here, go use an open source one. It's fine. Um, likewise for persistence frameworks and web frameworks. I built all of those myself, but there's no need for that, for those skills anymore. If you don't love learning the new tech, learn how to. Uh, learn how to love uh, figuring that stuff out. Even at the end of my technical career, 
I took the Stanford University online machine learning course because I wanted to know how does this stuff work? And having that understanding of how machine learning actually functions gave me a lot of advantages in my technical career. Even though I wasn't directly applying it, I knew, okay, these are the kinds of problems that we can solve with this tech. Other people might be doing the application of it, but at least I understand how they work. There's so much good material out there for learning it now. Um, you know, the internet is full of great, you know, everybody's got a blog, there's Stack Overflow, there's now you can generate code with chat GPT and look at that and, and learn from it. It's super, super valuable and just absorb that as quickly as you can um, to, to keep your skills up to date. The other part is, well, which skills are those? And one of the best sources that I had as a recruiter or as an independent was talking with recruiters because they had the job recs coming in all the time. And so they knew what the market was. So if you're a recruiter for a contracting company, you knew what the, what the people that were doing the hiring were looking for. And I would just listen to those folks and I would ask them what's hot right now. What are you seeing a lot of? And they could give me the scoop and I could, I knew what I had to pick up. And you know, as an independent, you're taking on some more risk that the skills that you have are going to be valued in the marketplace. So you've got to accept that risk. You've got to act on it to protect your position in that in the marketplace. Was there anything that got harder as you got older? You know, it's a great question. And the answer is no, it really didn't get any harder. Like even picking up machine learning at a at a at an old age, I was well into my 40s. Um by the time I took the machine learning class, you know, I had to go back to my college uh, calculus to really understand some of the math. Like there's this one partial derivative that's sort of central to machine learning. And it's, it's a little unpleasant. And I certainly hadn't used my calculus very much in, in 20 something years since I'd been in college, but it eventually came back with a little bit of effort. And so in my own experience, just because I was constantly updating my skills anyway, I didn't really notice a slowdown. The only thing that I did notice, like I mentioned earlier, was that some of it was a bit repetitive. It was just like, oh my gosh, you guys are going down an architectural hole that we tried in the 90s and it didn't work out. And we're just going to have to relearn that again as a group, aren't we? Oh, well. Now, looking back, what was the hardest thing you went through? Would you say it was like the period when you lost your father? In my life, sure. Um, you know, I think technically, or in my technical career, the hardest thing I went through would have been uh, going from independent contractor to a management consultant um, and just having to sort of start at step one for, uh, you know, learning the sort of sales funnel. Here is how you market Here's how you figure out what people are actually going to find valuable for what I bring to bear. You know, how do I sell it? How do I present it to them? Who do I sell it to? Who has discretionary money that they can spend? That took a long time for me to figure out. Was there ever a time that your lack of a college degree held you back? Great question. Um, in all of my technical career, which spanned about 30 years, I think there was one job where they were like, oh, you don't have a degree? Oh, no way. Um, and that was probably, I think that was in the aughts. 
two factors kind of led into that. One was there was a big shortfall of technology talent when I entered the market in the 90s. Computer science degrees actually declined for the first 15 years after I uh, after I left college. So um, there were fewer and fewer computer science graduates entering the job market. And you think about that today and you're like, that's insane, but that's truth. People just didn't want to get the degree. Um, and part of it was the jobs weren't quite as lucrative, but the demand was certainly was certainly starting to grow. So that helped a lot. It was like, you've got these technical skills. I, I knew Java. Uh, I interviewed with this boutique consultancy and they offered me a job and they're like, yeah, it's not really a problem. We're a little company. We don't care. I think if I had tried to interview at one of the, you know, at, at Accenture or at uh, Boston Computer Group or IBM, uh, they wouldn't have looked at me once. Um, but so finding a market for my skills that didn't care about it uh, certainly contributed. And just the fact that the job market was so hot contributed, like, when I was entering the job market, there were no other ways to really get into the field outside of either I'm self-taught or I have a computer science degree. That was those were your two ways in. Nowadays, um, with boot camps and there's a lot of technical schools that have uh, programming skills and development skills, and there's just a lot of non-programming jobs in tech, which were. Not there weren't very many of those uh, back in the day either. You you really had to be able to write code. Now there's all kinds of specialties in the field with product managers and scrum masters and SREs, uh, site reliability engineers and uh, business analysts and quality assurance engineering. Like there's all of these specialties around engineering uh, that you can get into that really don't require a degree at all. Um, you know, they're more soft skills in some cases, or they're just straight technical skills that are fairly easy, relatively easy to pick up relative to like going to a four-year college. Have you ever felt insecure about not having the degree? Uh, luckily, no. <laughs> my mom was insecure about me not having the degree. And she asked me well into my thirties, you know, when are you going to go back to school? And I'm like, mom, I make a lot of money. Like there's no point to me going back to school at this point. That part of it never bothered me. I always had a pretty good amount of confidence in my ability to to figure things out. And if your company wanted uh, a college degree, that's fine. I just it's not the place for me. Now this is going to be very different. If you saw eighteen year old Brad walking across the street today, what would you tell him? <laughs> I'd probably walk the other way. I would try to assure him that it was going to turn out okay. That uh, you know stick to your guns, keep doing what you're good at, which is learning things and buy Apple stock. That yeah. probably would have been it. No, 90s. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you would have been, <laughs> you know, you would have had some good money. So what advice would you give to general people who are trying to be, be self-taught and go that route today? You can do it. Uh, my biggest advice is you reach out to other people. If there's something that's freaking you out or that's scaring you, that's a perfect opportunity to to find somebody else. You could feel free to reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm happy to 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 give you some advice, and uh, I've got some skills that can help you deal with the with the emotions now better than I did. And uh, 
you know, avail yourself of the of the other people, but avail yourself of all of the opportunities to to learn this stuff. Find what the market wants and and give it to it and extract a heavy price for it. It's a great way to make uh to to make a really good living. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Brad. This was such a great episode. I appreciate you just being so honest and transparent. And I know so many people will gain value from this episode. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.